Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Before we get to Wayne Carini's Ultimate Garage, I need to thank the show's sponsor who is in the business of building Ultimate Garages. Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts like Wayne and myself. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own Ultimate Garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. Now off to Wayne Carini's Ultimate Garage. A quick note to the listeners, if you like chasing classic cars and you enjoy this interview with Wayne Carini, be sure to check out next week's interview when I interview Mike Roberts, who manages F40 Motorsports for Wayne. Well, hey, it's Greg Stanley with the Collector Car Podcast. I uh, have a very special guest today. I've watched his shows for many years, and I'd like to welcome Wayne Carini. Wayne, how are you doing today? Great. Great to be with you. Yeah, I really appreciate your time today. You are one busy man. <laughs> You're doing a lot of different things. Obviously, you have the show, Chasing Classic Cars. If you could, could you just kind of give us an overview of what you're up to nowadays? Well, we're still filming Chasing Classic Cars, so uh, we have not been on the road for one year, um, on an airplane anyways. We've been filming locally. So that's that's something that's kept us busy. Um, and then, of course, we're really busy in the shop with our restoration projects. And then the collector car market really grew during the pandemic. It's something I would have never guessed. I thought that we were going to go into a depression and into a slump of sales. But we have our F40 uh, sales business. And first couple of months, March and April, were pretty bad. And the phone wasn't ringing. Nobody was visiting, of course. Uh, we had shut our showroom down. But we reopened the showroom in May um, to uh, two people at a time with masks. And then the phone started ringing and the emails started pouring in. Uh, <laughs> and June became um, a very busy month. And then July and August were just insane. Car sales have been fantastic. Uh, restoration business is always good. But um, a lot of people... Um, wanted their collector cars that sort of languished in the garage for years because they were busy doing other things. They wanted to take them out and started driving them. So we have uh, part of our business is, is to recommission cars that have been sitting around for a while. So uh, those were starting to stack up like cordwood, you know, people uh, <laughs> and dropping them off saying, here, just make it run. I want to use it. So, you know, being trapped in your home and not going to work, um, as an average person would do, we, we, we work, but we were um, considered an essential business in the automobile business. So we were able to stay open when a lot of other businesses were closed. Between not tra- people not traveling, um, not going on those vacations, the cruises, flying in, in different locations, um, left some expendable income. And so they decided to, to get in the co- uh, collector car hobby, and uh, we had a lot of first-timers, too. It's been great. Yeah, we've noticed that as well from the auction results. You know, a lot of first-time bidders out there in the marketplace, and that is one of the things you can do during a pandemic 
is you can't actually get in a cool car and drive it around the countryside, right? And, I, you know, I've been so busy. So I've been doing Chasing Classic Cars now for 16 years, and I've been so busy with my business and with, with filming, and then I represent a lot of companies, and I have to fly around the country and around the world to make uh, appearances for those com- uh, companies. So um, I've been super busy for the last 16 years on the road, about 180 days a year on an average. Um, and so the pandemic was sort of like a welcome vacation for me. I mean, I don't want to sound like I, I sort of shrugged it off. I mean, I was very serious about being safe and, and not traveling and not being amongst people. But yet it was a, it was a great respite for me to, to sort of regroup, spend more time with my family. We had put a swimming pool in at our house. So last summer was great hanging out with my grandchildren and my, my family and just enjoying being home. So, um, you know, that, that, was, that was a great thing. But I'm ready to get back on the road. You know, I, I think that when this happened, I, I was fortunate. I had ordered a new Corvette. I, I have a lot of cars. Uh, right. You know, and I never say how many cars I have because it really doesn't matter. But I have plenty of cars to drive. But my new Corvette came in just after Amelia, and I was able to take it out and enjoy it. I have an autistic daughter, and it, it was great being able to just drive around with her for two or three hours at a time and, and just talk. And, and uh, she, she doesn't have much speech, but yet she listens to everything I say and takes it all in. So we have really good daughter-to-father uh, times hanging out in the Corvette and driving around. And I got to know the state of Connecticut and Massachusetts more than I ever had before. <laughs> I've never been to so many little towns I never knew existed. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I must say that's one of my favorite parts of your show is when you take your daughter for a ride. I think that is always cool to see that. And she obviously has a love for cars, uh, you know, and gets to really enjoy them through you. Yeah, she does. Um, she enjoys going fast. Uh, so she <laughs> enjoys acceleration. So she's my kind of girl. I, I, I like it. You know, I said, okay, Kimmy, you want to go fast? And she says, fast. And I've <laughs> got a grandson, too, that's real gearhead. He's five years old, and he he knows more about cars than than I ever did at his age, that's for sure. But um, he's a mountain of knowledge and just absorbs everything. He owns a, a 16 Piercero now. I owned this Piercero for quite a long time, and uh, I hadn't been using it. But once I took him out when he was about three and a half years old and we ran out of gas on a ride, and he thought that was the funniest in the world, that the car stopped <laughs> and we were out of gas. He told everybody. So I took the car and I, and I took it to an auction um, out in California, and it didn't sell. It didn't meet its reserve. So I brought it back home, and I put it in the garage, and I realized that I just dodged a bullet because I really did love the car. I had no idea why I made that, that thought process of, of selling it. But right. it's now it's uh, the car's home sitting in the garage. It's been there for about three or four weeks, and, and it's his birthday. I said, what's the one thing you want from Pop-Up more than anything in the world today, Connor? And he says, I want to go for a ride in the Fierce Arrow. Well, wow. he hadn't seen the car in seven or eight months, maybe close to a year. So we took a ride, and I said, Connor, you really love this car? I love this car. I love it. And I said, it's yours. Now, wow. people say to me, why give a five-year-old a 16 Piercero? Well, it's better to tr- give it to him now when he really enjoys it than maybe when he's 13 or 14 and he really doesn't even want it. Right. So we more you just give to him and, and have him involved in the experience, the better. And he'll, he, he's now hooked for life. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great way. Great way to get the next generation is get them experiencing the cars young at an early age. So that's really great. Hey, well, when my son turns 21, I'll give him this car. Well, give it to him when he's 10. 
Yeah. <laughs> Attention is cool eventually. What difference does it make? He'll still let you drive it. It's okay. Well, I do want to get to your ultimate garage, but before I do, I it might have been a mistake, but I asked my followers on Instagram to, you know, what what questions do you want me to ask Wayne? So it might have been a mistake because you're so popular. I I couldn't really take all the questions in. So I decided to kind of narrow it down to two or three. So are you okay if I okay. ask you a few uh, few questions here? Dude, absolutely. Someone wanted to know, at what point do you prefer a dual clutch versus a manual? Like, is there a certain level of power, speed, technology that you would make the jump away from a manual transmission car? You know, I like both. Um, I'm a manual guy. I mean, I really love manual transmissions. But I think the, the one thing I always remember when it comes to a paddle shift car or a dual clutch car or automatic is, is that, I bought a Ferrari, and, and my wife has never driven on a Ferrari. I mean, she she never had that experience because basically everything I brought home was standard shift. So we were at our beach home one day, went for groceries, and I threw the keys, and I said, hey, you drive home. And she goes, I can't drive that. I said, yes, you can. It's automatic. I'll show you how. Well, we didn't get home for another two hours. We, she she just loved driving, she just driving around. The only thing we went home for was that we had uh, – ice cream melting in the car so other than that she probably would still be driving it <laughs> but uh, I, I think that there's a purpose for both my feeling though to that is is the we have to teach young people how to drive standard shift cars and so i've been involved with a haggerty driving experience where we teach young people to drive standard shift because if a young person doesn't know how to drive a standard shift car and let's say that 75 percent of the people in the world don't know how to drive a standard shift car who's going to be able to drive our classic cars, our collector cars, no one, and then they'll just disappear. So I think it's a very, very important thing to teach young people how to drive standards. Right, and at some point in the marketplace, I mean, right now, you know, you pay more for a five-speed, four-speed in a classic car. Uh, if we don't get those, you know, younger folks driving manual shift, that might actually flip, you know, where the automatics are commanding a premium over the manual cars, right? Absolutely. You know, that, and that's something that the manufacturers pay attention to. I know that uh, Porsche's uh, uh, coming out with a, another standard shift car is what I've heard. So you have better control of the car. Uh, with a standard shift car myself. That's what I think. Right, right. Okay. Another question, which I think is a great question. How do you decide where and when to sell a car? Because obviously you have your, you know, your dealership, you're selling cars every day, but then you mentioned you took the Pierce Arrow to California to an auction. Obviously on the TV show, you pick different auctions. How do you decide which car to take where or what's the best format venue to sell? Making a decision to sell a car is pretty uh, difficult sometimes, you know, And, and, and room has a lot to do with it. I mean, I've got I've got a lot of cars, and they're scattered amongst four buildings. I'm trying to narrow it down to two buildings this summer, build another building. Sometimes you, I, I look at a car, and I say, you know what? I haven't driven that thing in, in two, three years. Why do I have it if I'm not using it? And so that's the, what I'm looking at right now is making that decision. What I don't use probably will go. And I always, you know, people say, what's your favorite car? My favorite car is the next car. <laughs> right. You know, I've, I've, I've got a friend that's, that said a great statement once. So he says, you know, after you hunt the car and you find it and you buy it, it becomes another can of peas on the shelf and you're on right. to the next one. Well, how I make a decision as to how to sell it, sometimes I, I look at the marketplace and I figure out, okay, well, it might be better to sell it privately than to sell it at auction. Uh, another thing, though, is if I... If I choose to sell a car at auction, I talk to all my friends in all the different auction houses, and I get their feedback on the car I'm presenting to them. And if they're not as excited about that car as I am, I move on to the to the next auction house. 
Mm-hmm. An auction has to be is enthused about the car and and what it is and the condition of the car as you are as the seller because you want that they're the, they're the representative of the car and they're the ones who are going to call certain clients that they know might be interested and, and tell them how great the car is um, and, and that's very very important making that decision as to who to choose to sell the car right right okay yeah that makes a lot of sense if they can't be your cheerleader for the car you know because they're not as enthused about it you know that will translate into how they present the car to potential buyers so that makes a lot of sense Absolutely. and then the last question you kind of already touched on it but uh, concerning the collector car marketplace uh, are there any specific trends you haven't already mentioned you've noticed out there it's amazing the online auctions are doing well all the auctions are doing just unbelievable. Yeah, RM's auction and Elkhart was just, I think that that was what really knocked us uh, for a loop and said, wow, you know, this uh, marketplace is so strong right now. I tried to buy four cars there and, and after the second bid, I was out. So everything sold for strong, strong money. Even even the the stools and the and the lifts and the, and the broom <laughs> sold for stupid money. But I think it was just a matter of people, again, being locked in and, and that being a live auction. Um, was It was limited to the amount of people there, but certainly there was a lot of people like me on the telephone trying to buy stuff. And it was a great, unique collection. So you, you mix all the components together and you come out with a winner. Uh, I, I think the market has changed slightly with the uh, online auctions now. I know that you at RM are doing some great work at your online auction stuff. And people realize they can't travel like they used to, so so they're they're relying on a great auction house to make sure that what they're bidding on is what they're going to get. And some of the online auctions, you just don't get that that feeling because you can't, you know, you can go look at the car if you want to, but yet um, the person representing it is the seller and the seller only. And so it's you got to be cautious. There's paperwork issues that can pop up. All sorts of little issues, but I think to, to answer your question is it's the online component of the auction world today, that, and and our business too. Ninety percent of the cars that we've sold this year, and it was a record year, the best year we've ever had in business, um, were sold online. Well, if I can ask, what cars were you looking at? So the Scarab, um, I was very interested in the Scarab, the the Lotus Cortina, um, the Lotus or, or the Cortina wagon. That was like one of our most inquired upon cars. <laughs> It was crazy. I thought that that would slip through the through the loophole, but but it certainly didn't. I think the Scarab was number one, and then and then the Bugatti Persang Bugatti. Uh, I've been looking to, to I'm interested in buying a Persang, and and the reason I want something like that is, is that I certainly can't afford the uh, the original one, but yeah, I want my grandson to be able to um, have that driving experience that a, a Grand Prix car from the 30s will give you, and that's as close as you're going to get to. A, a real Grand Prix car that's affordable in, in today's marketplace. So I was very interested in that. Of course, the second bid, I was out on that. The Scarab, <laughs> the Scarab I pushed right up to the end. I mean, I thought I was going to own that car, and it just kept going. And, my, you know, another bid, another bid. I think I bid like 12 or 14 times, but I finally said, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, sorry you didn't get any of those. You just have to stay tuned. <laughs> no, it's okay. Listen, right. there's lots of roles that I've I've been a very lucky person finding and buying cars over the years, so I don't get too upset about it. I just go on. There'll always be another car, right? There's lots of cars in the world. And you know what? I've, uh, the Piercero that I was talking to you about with my grandson, 
I'd lost that at a Gooding auction, um, I think it was in 2014, and uh, I was able in 2018 to buy it back from the guy that bought it at the auction. I was the underbidder, and we exchanged uh, hellos and, and talked after the auction, and then uh, he was going to sell it and decided to call me first, which and then I bought it. So sometimes they all come back to you anyways. Right, right. Yep, okay. Well, let's move on to the Ultimate Garage. So when I reached out to you, I wanted you to pick out Wayne Carini's Ultimate Garage. Now, this isn't necessarily a 10 best list of anything, but it's really the cars that speak to you. And if you only had 10 spots in your garage, what 10 would you have? Now, this is obviously no budget tied to this, so they can be anything. So you kind of want to walk us through your list here? Well, you know, I wrote it down, and um, I can't find that paper in front of me at the moment, but uh, from memory... uh, Certainly, I can I can fire some off. Um, so, first one is a 250 short wheelbase. I think that to me, um, that is the best proportion car, one of the best driving cars I've ever driven. I've restored eight of them, and I don't own one, but it, it's to me, it's the ultimate race slash street car um, of that era, and I love that you know 50s, 60s era cars. So uh, yeah, I, I like that. HC Alpha, just any any Alpha with a eight cylinder with a with a supercharger on it is is just a phenomenal car. Whether it's a Zagato body or a Touring body, whatever it may be, I think that they had it all together uh, back in that era. Just for the record, I do have your list here. <laughs> so if okay. you miss one, I'll be able to catch it for you. And as we go through them, let me ping uh, just some of the average values just so that our listeners can understand kind of the price point of some of these cars. So the Ferrari 250 short wheelbase, that was 59 to 63. Average value, 7.7 million. And uh, I'd like to use Haggerty's trends, and it's actually down 28% over the last three years, so now's the time to buy, right? <laughs> it is. Chassis number 1741, uh, um, I restored. It was the first short wheelbase I restored, and that would be the ultimate one for me. Um, it was the New York Auto Show car, and uh, and uh, Francois Sicard and I restored it together. Francois put GTO pistons and cams in, and I'll tell you what, that thing's really unbelievable power. So, yeah, great car. Prices down. I could have bought that car for nine hundred fifty thousand uh, back when I I, mm. I could, probably couldn't put gas in my car that day. But uh, yeah, and the Alpha, the Alpha Eight C. I don't have any trends on that because they're so rare. I think they made under forty of those, but the last two sold for around the twenty million dollar mark. So gorgeous, classic, iconic cars that really bring the money in the marketplace. So those are extremely rare. And your third one I have is the Jaguar D Type. You know, D Type to me was just such a fabulous race car jaguar had, had come so far i have a ss100 jag myself um and i've had a c and a d type replicas in the past but uh a, a d type's just phenomenal well we were on the california melee about maybe it was probably, know, 15 18 years ago and i was driving my three liter bentley and every day at lunch i would i would see the guy that was driving the the D-type uh, having his uh, dessert at lunchtime. And I would get in my car and I would take off because I, I know that he would pass me. And I'd just wait for him to come. And I'd look in the mirror. I'd say, okay, here he comes. Listen, <laughs> zip by me doing 100, 130. Just, oh, my God, that car is just phenomenal. Well, and now your SS100, is that the one with the crocodile skin? It is. Yeah. Alligator Interiors, Dave Garraway's car and Dave... Uh, Raced that car uh, in the in the forties and into the fifties, um, and he put a one twenty Jag engine in it, which it still has. Um, he tried supercharging the original engine, just didn't give him enough power. And that car was probably 
uh, one of the cars that appeared in, in magazines, the most appearances in magazines of that era of any car, um, because Dave Garraway was the first live television personality. Uh, he was the host of a Today Show, and it started in, the, uh, I think it was 1950. And so because of his recognition worldwide of, of being this new personality, um, that car was written up everywhere. And in 53 or 4, he put an alligator interior in it. And um, so I've just restored the car, and uh, we put back the alligator interior. I, I tried to leave it as much original as to what he did and when he did it in his era. And it's just a cool car. Yeah, I ran into that car like, I don't know, eight years ago, and it was the first SS100 I really saw up close, and I was like, wait, those seats don't look right. <laughs> so. It being a little flamboyant, but yet uh, I think it tells the story of the car. You certainly don't want to take away what, you know the history. Yeah, yeah. Now, the average price on a Jaguar D-Type is about $3.8 million. They're down 11% latest three years. They're down a lot. I mean, I, I can't understand that. And, and a lot of the stuff in that upper price category is fluctuated quite a bit. So um, I, I see that stuff coming back. I don't see that this is a, this is going to stay that, that way where, you know, alphas are down, short wheelbases, D-Types. Um, I, I think that that market will start climbing back up again. Well, and that's one thing we've noticed during the pandemic is a lot of cars have sold, but when you when you eclipse the $1 million price point, that realm has somewhat slowed down, at least from the online sales. You know, that's much more of a live event absolutely. offering there. Yep, absolutely. All right, the next one is the Bugatti Type 51, which threw me up for a little bit because I'm used to the 35s and the 57s. So tell us about that car. Well, a, a Type 51 is another, it just looks like a Type 35 Grand Prix car, except for it's a twin cam. Um, and uh, just a little bit different, but I, I like the aspect of, of seeing a twin cam engine in there, so that's the one I would choose. Uh, I'm actually negotiating with John Bothwell right now to, to order one um, and, and get it on order so I can have it for not this summer, but for next summer um, and, and get that experience. So, yeah, I, I, I like I wish I could afford a, a real Type 51, but I'll go for the Persang. Yeah, and we actually had one sell, I think it was an Amelia, Right before the shutdown, for around eight hundred thousand dollars. So they're uh, they're really nice, cool cars, beautiful cars. Now the next one, you have to educate me on this because I know of the cars, but it's an Aero Engine Bentley with a Merlin. Tell us a little bit about that car. I'm I'm intrigued by Aero Engine cars. So they took airplane engines out and they put them in cars. Um, Jay Leno's got one that was built by Bob Peterson over in England, and it's got the Merlin um, fighter plane engine in it. Um, and just to have something that is uh, just huge, huge engine, and a lot of the early aero engine cars, you can see all the mechanicals working. You know, so you can see the um, the push rods going up and down, and and uh, for the valves and the valve springs clattering, and all these things happening, and flames coming out of the side. That that's does it for me. I mean, um, there's there's a lot of cars. The Fiat, the famous race car with the aero engine in it. I think that that is the coolest stuff. And a lot of that stuff was handmade back in the, you know, 40s and 50s, uh, because uh, these aircraft engines were laying around. They didn't know what to do with them, and, and they right. started putting them. I think it's cool as hell. Right. Yeah. Definitely cool. All right. The next one's one close to my heart. It's a Shelby GT350. I'm assuming you mean what? 65. 65 Shelby 350. I own number 150. Um, and I'll tell you what, if you, you want a fantastic driving car that gives you the experience of driving a race car on the street, that's it. I mean, the, the, 
Shelby took the Mustang and, and totally transformed it into a race car. Um, a lot of people didn't know that, that, you know, they were getting a car that they could literally drive to the racetrack and, and, and be very competitive with the car and probably win your, your class with that car. I think that it, it, for a driving experience, sort of like the, the Grand Prix car that I was saying, that experience of driving a car like that, on, uh, and, and not only on the track but on, on the street, is, is, is pretty phenomenal. I've taught my grandson about smoking the tires in that car, and um, so he loves that uh, when we go on the driveway. <laughs> we go on the driveway and we smoke the tires. i got a big, long driveway. And uh, matter of fact, we were on vacation at the Cape a couple of years ago, and here he is. He's like you know, three and a half, four years old, and he's, he's, he, this guy's walking down on the beach, and he looks up and he says, Hey, my name's Connor. This is my pop-up. We smoke the tires. <laughs> That's <laughs> the awesome. Says, what party at? And he says, well, Shelby GT350. You know, I go, I'm going, what? You know all that stuff? How do you know that? You know? <laughs> wow. I just love the Mustang uh, Shelby GT350. And i got to say one more thing about, about Shelby's and about his involvement with, with Ford. I'm about to go right after this interview to my local Ford dealer and order a new uh, GT500 Mustang. I saw one yesterday. I fell in love with it, and, and I'm on my way to place my order this afternoon. So, what color are you going to get? Orange. Oh, good. Okay, something bright. All right. Uh, orange and black. I mean, I'm I'm tempted to go for that that bright green color. Yeah. Uh, I just sold my orange Corvette, and I'm getting a blue uh, new. 2021 uh, convertible Corvette. So I like the orange color. So I think that's the color I'm going with. Well, one of the favorite episodes of Chasing Classic Cars I really enjoyed was when you found that carryover 66 Shelby GT350 that was kind of a barn find, right? Yeah, that was unbelievable. Yeah, we found that and that went to auction. But that's that's very cool. And the number 150 car was in, uh, was in one of our episodes too where a dentist up in Massachusetts um, watch chasing classic cars. Unfortunately, he was he was uh, going through chemo and cancer, and um, he he didn't uh, make it. But it was last wish was is to have uh, a Wayne Carini buy his Shelby, and and that's the car I own today. So um, his wife called me, and I I went up and I looked at it, and I said I'd like to buy it, and she went and burst into tears, and that's because her husband's last wish was that I own the car. So it was it was it was pretty cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, Shelby's in the marketplace. The average value is about $368,000. they are up almost 3% the latest three years. And I actually learned about a 65 original owner here in Cincinnati. I'm going to track down and see what that's all about. So I'll let you know if it's something something cool. <laughs> you know, the, the one person, though, that I called when I got the car in and I and I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I was doing the right thing was our, our good friend Donnie Gould. Donnie is the master. Oh, yeah. he, he's the He's got the knowledge, and so whenever I buy anything Shelby-oriented, I always call my bud Donnie. Yeah, he can call out a fake one from 10 miles away, that's for sure. So, you know, the authenticity is what's key with those cars. Exactly. All right, well, your next one's a Morris Cooper S. Yeah, minis. um, I got my first taste of a mini. I had an MG1100 when I was in high school, and I was dating this girl, and our next-door neighbor had a a Mini Cooper, and he took me for a ride one day, and I was hooked. I've been hooked ever since. I've I've got five of them in my collection, and uh, I just think that the Mini Bang for the Buck is the one of the coolest cars in the world to drive, um, to have fun with. I've got a 66 Cooper S um, that is really tricked out. Um, I had a 20 Mini, um, but I sold it, and that was an engine in the front, engine in the back. It was a rally car. Uh, they built four of them, and uh, so I sold it back to England a little while ago. But 
I, and I and I autocrossed my mini for years when I was in uh, when I was in high school and early days of college. So lots of fun. Everybody should own a mini. Yeah, I totally agree. They're super cool. They were revolutionary at the time and one of the best handling cars ever of that era. Correct? It's a car that I used to. All my muscle car buddies, I'd put them in that car and I'd scare them to death. <laughs> and, that, and that's so enjoyable for me to scare somebody that, you know, here's, he's driving, you know, 500 horsepower, 400 horsepower car. And I get him in the mini and come to a corner and he says, aren't you going to slow down? I said, no, we're going to hammer it. We push the gas pedal down even further, you know, pick it up, pick the, one of the back wheels up, you know, as you're going around the corner. I, I, I love doing that as a kid. Now, for our listeners, this is the most affordable car in Wayne's list with an average value of $28,000. And they're actually up almost 15% the latest uh, three years or so. They've, so They've been going it, up. I mean, people recognize the car for a really great, fun car to drive. And, and uh, the European market seems to be really pushing, too. So, yeah, lots of fun. Now, the next one is the Mercer Raceabout, one of the first actual uh, street, I, I don't want to say street legal, but one of the first cars you could actually race or and drive around the neighborhood, right? I'll tell you, for for a car that's got great horsepower, um, fantastic driving car, that's lightweight, handles unbelievably. So between a Stutz Bearcat and a Mercer Raceabout, uh, those were the two cars back in that era that that really told it all. I mean, they were they were again just like the Shelby GT350. They were race cars that you could drive on the street, and just to have a bare nothing a couple of seats bolted to a frame and a and a cowl in front of it and a steering wheel and maybe a monocle windshield to me that's really fabulous uh, I, I owned a simplex race car with my buddy rick tarnitzer out in california with uh with the ch- twin chain drive and that that was a great experience too but as, as far as a usable cars you just jump in and you could drive it anywhere you wanted to the the mercer's it now, how does that rank? Obviously, not one or two, but the American Underslung. Where does that fall in your realm of early race cars? So, American Underslung was really, I think, uh, I think we should maybe put that in the category as the first American sports car. So, it wasn't very successful on on the race uh, circuits, but yet uh, that had the sex appeal. Um, it, 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 it just looks so fabulous. I I have a, a sixteen. Um, underslung and the size of the wheels and, and mm. just the way it fits and the fenders are higher than the hood. Um, boy, that car is spectacular. I saw my first uh, underslung when I was probably six or seven years old in Hershey and it stuck wow. with me. That is probably one of the coolest cars of that era. Well, talking about race cars, the next one you'll have to educate me on. I did Google it. Uh, 67 Gurney Westlake. So it was, it was Dan Gurney's Formula One car. So Dan Gurney, uh, you know, great racer with the, with many different teams, with Ferrari. Um, and then he decided to make his own car. And I think as far as a Formula One car from that era, I mean, Ferraris are fabulous, you know, um, but being, I, I like I like things that are American sometimes. And so, and I knew Dan very well. So um, the nose on the car with little sharp nose uh, look, and, and then of course all the spaghetti exhaust and and that Westlake engine. Um, I just think that that's one of the most fabulous looking Formula One cars that there is. O- open wheel cars in general. Yeah. Well, the last car in your ultimate garage, number ten spot, is the nineteen eighty seven to nineteen ninety two Ferrari F forty. This one, I saw it coming, but I also want you to comment on why not the McLaren F1. So tell us about the F40 first. So Ferrari made the 288 GTO beforehand. Um, it, it had the small V8 in it. 
uh, twin turbocharged. And I love driving a GTO because it, it doesn't have the technology, the tires, the suspension, the brakes that an F40 does, but is it, it's hang on by the seat of your pants type driving. It wiggles. You put your foot down and the turbos kick in and the thing just, just burns the back tires and it wiggles as it's going up the road. Where the F40, you put your foot down, the turbos kick in, and it squats down in the back and it just is like a rocket ship. Um, and it does everything right. I mean, it feels like a race car. It is a race car. You can use it on the street, use it on the track. Um, you can adjust the boost a little bit. So the reason I named my business F40 Motorsports is I had an F40 at the time that I started that business. So, and then of course I sold it to, to keep my business going. Um, <laughs> but yet, um, we played around with the boost and stuff in the car and the thing was awesome. A good, I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day, uh, Corvette Mike, and Corvette Mike came to buy a Callaway from me once, and I took him for a ride in my F40, and, and I, 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 honestly, God, I scared him to death. He couldn't get out <laughs> of the car. We stopped at the shop. He, he, was, he was, like, shaking and trying to calm himself down so he could walk out of the car. And, and I'm sure Mike will tell that same story. We, we got it sideways down the street, and I didn't let off, and we just kept going up the street sideways until it corrected itself. So lucky it didn't correct itself too much and spin around, but it was it, it's quite a brilliant car. Now, the McLaren, a friend of mine, Herb Chambers, owns one or owned one and sold it. McLaren though, needs a lot of tender, loving care to keep it, uh, everybody happy. And okay. you just can't do it everywhere. So, you know, it needs the fuel tanks constantly managed in the fuel system. It needs the tires. It needs it needs a, quite a few things. But yet, um, I restored the Ferrari 365P for Luigi Canetti. And to me, as a kid, I looked, used to go to Canetti's and look in the window and see that car in the basement of the, of the shop. And then wow. late in life, I got to restore it for him. And that stayed at my house uh, in Connecticut because Luigi didn't have any place to keep it. So it stayed with me for like five years after uh, we, we restored it for him. And I used to take my children in, in car seats and I'd put them next to me, one on one side, one on the other, and we'd drive <laughs> around town in that car. So center steering cars are something special to me. It was three, four years ago we are at Monterey and I, uh, I get a phone call and I look and it's a European number. So I answer and I said, hello. And a gentleman said his name was Gordon Murray. Did I have time to have lunch with him? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think so. I think I could fit that in today, Mr. Murray. And we had a three-hour lunch, and it was just the most phenomenal experience talking to somebody. I, I didn't – I was an idiot for not pressing the record button on my phone, but uh, we talked about a lot, a lot of things and, and what Gordon was, was coming up with these ideas. One of the things, and I won't drag it out, but it was is that Gordon was, was trying to, to figure out how to make a production factory that builds cars carbon friendly. So right. yep. a lot of these factories are, are assembled factories. They assemble the cars and, and parts are made in every direction and they're shipped by trucks and stuff. So uh, Ford had done this and he was looking into it further where they have a facility under one roof where all the different manufacturers assemble, uh, manufactures the parts. One makes the seats, one the dashboard, one the instruments. And they're all under one roof, and they travel around on a train within the within the um, assembly plant to pick all the parts up to actually build the car. Wow! So it, it it was an unbelievable lunch. So yeah, I, I, that would probably be a 
one that I would uh, I would replace with the Ferrari, but um, one of my business is called F40 Motorsports. I think I got to stick with the F40. Well, it's a good choice from a, a market trend perspective. Average value is 1.2 million, and they're up 22.2 percent the latest three years. So they've been they've been climbing. Now, is that three seat Ferrari? Is that at the Simeon Museum right now? It was, yeah. So um, gentleman purchased that down in Texas, and it's uh, actually the poster car last year and it will continue to be the poster car this year seeing that pebble didn't happen last year of pebble beach um this year so it's the gentleman with his wife and and uh, one of his children in the car it's a it's a it's a drawing of that and uh, i'm real proud of that i got to show that car at pebble um, but we didn't have it judged and so i was able to drive the car in the lawn at pebble and that was probably about 18 or 19 20 years ago and um, I had my wife on one side of me and my one of my best friends on the other side. And, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven, you know, <laughs> to be able to drive that car that I lost it after as, as a kid, to be able to restore it and then to be able to show it at Pebble Beach and then have Mr. Pinaferina uh, uh, come over and talk to me about the car with Luigi Canetti, the owner. Uh, that was a pretty cool experience. I've been very lucky in my, in my life, in my automobile career, have done such really incredible things and, and have met such fantastic and interesting people. So I'm, I'm a very lucky guy. Yeah, that's really amazing. It's great that you're able to share a lot of that with the the viewers of Chasing Classic Cars because I think it's just a little snapshot of kind of the, the life you lead. And I think that's why people like it so much because you get to really see some cool stuff that you're able to do. Obviously, the cool cars which is really neat. And speaking of cool cars, if we were to put all of your, your top 10 cars into the Ultimate Garage, based on my calculations, now this is spitballing some of the cars I wasn't quite sure about, it'd be about $35 million. So you've got some very nice taste there, Wayne, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's just stuff I like. In, in, in my collection, it's all cars that I like. And, and, and I think that's the key to collecting, too, today, is that you have to be, you have to be cautious of what you buy, but yet you you better like it. When I sell someone a car, I always say, don't listen to your uncle or your cousin or your next-door neighbor. Buy what you like, because if the world goes to zero tomorrow financially, you better like what's in your garage. You better not say, oh, I don't really like it, but my, my cousin Harry, he said it was a great buy. Um, like what you have, and, and I think that's the most important thing. I I own a lot of unusual cars, and people say, why do you like that car? I say, I don't know. I just like it. It makes me right. happy, and, and I think that that's really the best thing. And and getting back to being lucky, so I, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to do Chasing Classic Cars. It started with a Hudson Italia uh, article written in the New York Times by Donald Osborne about my Hudson Italia, and uh, the head of the production company read that article, came up and asked me if I'd like to do a TV show. I thought that he was totally insane, um, and... <laughs> Here we are 16 uh, years later um, in 52 countries around the world. Millions and millions and millions of people have watched it, and, and uh, it's amazing that, uh, that it took off the way that it did, and it changed my life um, for the better. I mean, you know, I control it. I don't let it get to my head. I don't, you know, I'm still the same exact person I always was, um, but it's great to to be able to see such great people and learn their stories. Um, and that's what collecting cars is, is, is basically about. The cars are great, but the stories are fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. 
And speaking of which, how many more years can we expect you to be for providing such great automotive content? Well, we're just finishing up this uh, this year's episodes right now. Um, we're, we're on board for next year, and then we'll see what happens after that. That's where our contract takes us right now. Um, there's all sorts of great things that uh, during the, the pandemic that I had the opportunity to sit down and, and figure some new things out for the future. So there's some, all sorts of things that people see popping up. We've got a fan club that's that's uh, just getting together right now, and lots of other ideas. And I think that I think that'll all come out. And, and within the next year, there'll be some great things popping up. Yeah, and actually, could you mention, I, I was on your website, and I noticed you have some great swag you can buy, you know, like some shirts and caps. I thought, wow, that's some really nice stuff there. Uh, and I know you're looking into a winery. Is that right? Yeah, so we're going we're gonna, to, uh, I've got a 30-acre farm that we bought, and um, uh, we've got some great open fields. So I, I always thought that having a winery, Driving up the driveway and seeing grapes in a winery was like my ultimate dream. So the first dream was to have a big red barn full of cars. And I found a, a place that the guy built a barn. He was a, a, a veterinarian, a, a horse veterinarian. He had a huge barn built in uh, 20, let's see, 2001. And um, all post and beam. Um, and today there's no horses in there. There's just my car collection and motorcycle collection. And then we built a new house on the hill. And now the final part would be to put the winery in. So, yeah, that would be it. I'd, uh, I'd be totally thrilled with that for the rest of my life. Wow, that's really amazing. Well, for our listeners, obviously, they can find you, you know, on Chasing Classic Cars. Uh, what's the other way that they can reach out to you? F40 Motorsports. Or no, it's F40.com, correct? Yeah, F40.com. And then um, WayneCarini.tv. So that's, uh, um, that's where you see all the swag uh, that you're able to write to us. Uh, we're, we're about to launch a new app where if people have cars to sell, they can uh, uh, go on the app and, and download all the information. We're just trying to make it easier for people to reach us. Um, and uh, so the new app will be kick, kicking off in probably another month. And uh, you know, all sorts of crazy new things coming out. And we, we really look forward to seeing all of our friends and, and all of our, our colleagues and, and uh, meet new people, too, at Amelia Island. Uh, that's uh, just in a short couple of months. So uh, we're really looking forward to getting back at that. That was the last event that we were at, and, and we're really looking forward to going down and spending some time with Bill Warner and his crew. And, and you know, I think it's one of the most phenomenal uh, car shows in the world, and uh, and we're going to get back at it again. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Wayne, and sharing with us your ultimate garage. Thank you very much. Nice to speak with you. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.